Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 132 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to chat with a truly delightful ecologist who works with an equally delightful endangered freshwater turtle. We got to talk about what to do if you see a turtle crossing the road, what cartoons get right and wrong about turtles, the perils of longevity and cute fluffy predators, and the conservation work that's going into helping our tough-shelled friends. I promise that by the end, you will have a big, beautiful smile just like the one across the sweet, smiling faces of this blissful little turtle. Just the Zoo of Us presents Blanding's Turtle with Ferusha Wijewardena. Everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. This is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm super excited to learn about a really cool critter that I'm not super familiar with, so I'm ready to learn a lot about. We have a cool friend here with us today. We're talking to Therusha Wijewardena. Say hi, Therusha. Hey, Ellen. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is so exciting. Okay, so we're talking about Blanding's turtle today, which has been requested multiple times by our friend Britt Vickstrom. But before we talk about Blanding's turtle, let's talk about you a little bit. Therusha, can you let our friends at home know, like, what got you into the work that you're doing with turtles in general? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so the way I got into this work is, as a kid, I wasn't really that interested in animals. But after I migrated to Canada, uh, I got this opportunity to learn about animals and conservation in my undergrad, and that's what really got me interested. And then I got the chance to do a master's degree in, in conservation work, and that program was so amazing, and it was also like internship-based uh, compared to like a thesis-based master's. And then I realized, wow, like conservation work is really interesting. And I pretty much, you know, never left. So I started working with the with the Blanding's Turtle Head Start project. And I've been working with them for about five years now. And it's been such a tremendous experience. And, you know, Blanding's Turtles are just amazing. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty much how I got into it. Because, you know, as a kid, even in my high school or like the very first few years of my undergrad, I didn't know that you know, studying animals is an option for me because I didn't know like you could get paid to do this kind of work. So it was like really amazing to come across this opportunity. Yeah. So was it kind of like an educational experience where you were like learning and working with them at the same time? Uh, yes. So my program mainly focused on things like, you know, conservation policy, like wildlife management. Uh, things like that and also like identifying different species so we had like this plant id course so i learned like a lot of different things and i was really interested in like the conservation side of that program and that's pretty much how i got into learning about blanding's turtles were you aware of blanding's turtles before you got into this work because where i live in my neck of the woods 
we've never heard of Blanding's turtle because <laughs> we don't have them here. Was it like a turtle you were already familiar with or was it something that you kind of like got into through doing this work? Yeah, so um, I actually knew about sea turtles before I came to Canada because um, I'm from Sri Lanka and we have sea turtles back there. Mm. And I got interested in turtles as a kid, but I didn't think, you know, like I'll get the chance to actually learn about them in the future. And I'm, when I came to Canada, I didn't know they had freshwater turtles either. So until I like interviewed for that job, I didn't know we had freshwater turtles in Canada either uh, because I wasn't really like focused on like animal related jobs back then. But then, you know, that program and that uh, internship really changed my life. That's awesome. And okay, so I have basically discovered Blanding's turtles <laughs> through following you and seeing the pictures that you post of them. And I can definitely see why you are so charmed by them because gosh, they're so cute. Aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They're adorable. So if you're not like familiar with Blanding's turtle, can you give people kind of like an introduction to what this turtle's like? Yes. Um, so the Blanding's turtle is a freshwater turtle and they are easily identifiable because of their bright yellow chin. And they also have a black carapace. So carapace is the top part of the shell of a turtle. So they have a black carapace and it also has yellow spots. So if you see those two different characteristics, it's very easy to tell whether it's a blending turtle or not. You mentioned that bright yellow chin. You're not kidding. It is bright yellow, like like a primary color yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> You know, especially for a turtle, like you wouldn't imagine them having such bright colors, right. right? Because you usually see them on like birds or like, you know, tropical species. But then there's these like northern species with like such bright colors. It's it's amazing, really. It is. Okay, so zooming out a little bit and looking at freshwater turtles. We've talked about a few different types of turtles on the show before. You mentioned sea turtles. We did um, an episode with Alex Troutman about um, Kemp's Ridley sea turtles, mm -hmm. which are down in the Gulf of Mexico area. Beautiful, lovely little sea turtles. But when we're looking at like turtles as a group, for people that maybe aren't around turtles, maybe don't live near where turtles live, can you give me kind of like a quick intro to turtles? Um, yeah, so turtles are reptiles. They are ectotherms, which means they can't regulate their own body temperature like we do. So they basically rely on their external environment to um, regulate that body temperature. And depending on whether you're in like Canada or the US, there's like various species. And most of the turtles tend to be aquatic. They're either found in the freshwater, there's also like sea turtles, uh, but there's also the tortoises, which are like mostly on land. Uh, they do have these different body characteristics, I would say, that makes them different and easier to identify. We actually have a lot of tortoises where I live. We have like gopher tortoises mm -hmm. and box turtles, I think, are like a terrestrial turtle, yeah. I think. Yes. I'm not very familiar with box turtles because we don't have box turtles here in Canada. But I've been also following a few amazing people on Twitter and they post about box turtles and... Yes, I think um, based on what I've seen and what I know, uh, they are also um, mostly terrestrial. Yeah. we. <laughs> okay, so we have a little bit of a problem in Florida where people meaning very well, people with nothing but love in their hearts, will come across sometimes a box turtle or a gopher tortoise, like crossing the road or something like that. 
and they will think, I must help this turtle. What is the best way to help a turtle? They think, return it to the water. And people will often then pick up the tortoise and put it in the water oh. where it cannot go. Um, so big difference between, you know, make sure that uh, if you see a turtle that's just like crossing the road, just help it cross the road. Don't put it in the water if it's not already there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, like you can place it close to the water, but it's best to let them figure out where they want to go. But if they're in like a dangerous place, like the middle of the road, uh, you could lift them up and put them where they're headed. Especially though, if you are not entirely sure which species they are, um, try to always handle them from the back. Because there are some species like um, snapping turtles or like the musk turtles. They have a pretty powerful bite. I don't think they can like really, you know, chew your finger off, but it's going to hurt. You know, you don't want to be injured while you're trying to help a turtle. Yeah. Uh, so if you are unsure of the species, it's always safe to hold them from the very back of their shell. Yeah, folks down here in Florida are all too familiar with snapping turtles. Um, and you're right, they can do some serious damage. We even have like the upgraded, like final boss version of the snapping turtle, the alligator snapping turtle. Oh, yeah. Um, those things are massive right. and they will take a digit if you mess with them or what they think of as messing with them, which you may be trying to help it, but they don't know that. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we're all too familiar with uh, being cautious around large turtles is the blandings turtle is it a big turtle or is it a little turtle like what are we dealing with it's medium sized uh, so the males tend to be a little bit bigger so about 28 centimeters and females tend to be around on average about um, 20 centimeters so i would say it's a medium sized turtle not too small not too big just right exactly <laughs> Okay, so this is an aquatic turtle. Like you said, do they spend like all their time in the water? Or do they kind of come in and out? Uh, no, they actually spend quite a bit of time on land as well, uh, especially during the nesting season. They would travel long distances to find a mate or sometimes if it's a female uh, to find a nesting site. So the Blanding's turtles are actually one of the turtles that travel the furthest. They just love walking on land, you know, try to get the best mate or, the, or to find the best nesting site. They've got wanderlust. Exactly. They're really trying to explore. Oh, I like that. That's really cool. What does your work with Blanding's turtle typically look like? Like what is like a day in the life of doing conservation work with Blanding's turtle? So we collect the eggs from wild populations that are stable and uh, we bring the eggs back, incubate them, and we rear the turtle hatchlings for about two years. So they grow much faster in captivity, and they also uh, get this larger size, uh, which uh, helps them, you know, not get predated. So after they reach about two years old, so they're like the size of a large potato, <laughs> uh, we release them to the wild. So our hope is that the predation risk on the hatchlings would decrease by letting them get larger in captivity. Oh, that's so interesting. I've heard of people that work with like rearing baby wild birds, that there's a risk of imprinting on the baby birds. Oh. Is this at all a concern with the turtles? For turtles, I wouldn't say so. Um, no, they, they do fine in captivity. 
Uh, although there is some like debate about that the behavior changes a little bit, like they're not very good at finding their own food because we, you know, we mm. feed them all the time. And they're also not very good at avoiding predators just because they don't see us as a threat. You know, we are feeding them. So when they're out in the wild, they're like, oh, now what do we do? You know, there is some evidence of that if you read the research. And head starting is still kind of a new technology. It's a new conservation tool. And we're still trying to figure out uh, whether it's going to work to uh, bring back these populations. My work basically entails checking whether their Head Starting program could work to bring back the population because the population I work with, it's called it's functionally extinct because there's only like two females and like maybe about three to four males. Uh, so the probability of them meeting and mating and then, you know, bringing back the population, it's, it's very low. So there's very low chance of that population surviving in the long term. So that's why head starting was necessary. Over the years, we released so many like hatchlings and juveniles and hoping that the population will come back to a good level. Oh, I hope so, too. Oh, so your job, you get to work with baby turtles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that amazing? It sounds amazing. It is. Like, yeah, it is a dream come true. <laughs> it's funny because when I first interned, when I came across a blanding turtle in the field, I didn't even recognize that it's a blanding turtle because it was like hiding in the grass and, you know, I couldn't really see the yellow chin or anything. And then I was like asking one of the other um, field technicians, hey, what's this? I found a turtle. And then she was so excited because she was like, oh, that's a blanding turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I am like a little bit jealous, but also <laughs> so like secondhand excited for you that you get to like live a life of working with baby turtles because they're just so cute they and <laughs> they're so precious and have such a sweet energy to them. Like they just seem so gentle and calm and wise. Yes. <laughs> so blinding turtles are very gentle. Like you can hold them even like a kid can handle it. Uh, although I don't recommend that we, you know, handle them unless it's necessary. They are wild animals after all. Right. One of the things that I learned was to always make sure that if for any reason you have handled a reptile to always wash your hands with soap very thoroughly because they carry salmonella. Yes, they do. Yeah. So um, if you do for any reason, like say, for example, you helped a turtle cross a road, holding it from the back very carefully, as we have been told, wash your hands afterwards very thoroughly so that you don't get salmonella. <laughs> So if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do for funsies is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And so our first category is effectiveness. These are physical adaptations that the animal has built into their body that make them good at doing the things they're trying to do. Not getting eaten by predators, maybe ways that they can survive, ways that they can get food for themselves. Thurusha, what would you give the Blanding's turtle out of 10 for effectiveness? Uh, I would say nine out of 10. That's very good. <laughs> um, so the main thing that they have is their shell, right? It works perfectly for like defense. Oh yeah, this is a tank. Exactly. They're built like a tank. <laughs> so if there's like a raccoon or like a fox trying to eat it, you know, the Blanding's turtle can fully go inside its shell. Oh, they can. Oh yeah. Like in a cartoon. <laughs> exactly. And they also have something called a hinged plastron. So plastron is the bottom part of the shell. It works in a way that they can sort of like bend it in a small like V shape. 
so they can really close their shell. Like you can't even like poke a finger in. Oh, so it's kind of like closing the gap between the top and the bottom. Exactly. Whoa, I've never heard of that before. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and um, sometimes I run into trouble when we uh, do research. Sometimes we have to like pick tag them. It's like we insert a tiny chip with like a unique code so we can identify them later. Uh, some of them do that and it's like so hard to get <sighs> the leg out. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, it's so fun. (laughs) So they're completely like zipping themselves up into their shell. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great idea, though. Works well for them. It does. Um, Something we've talked about with other turtles in the past is, unlike a cartoon, though, turtles cannot come out of their shells in the sense that they have left their shell behind. <laughs> no, like in the Franklin cartoon, right? Yeah, no, they, they unfortunately can't do that. So the shell is basically like a rib cage. Uh, the only reason I gave them 9 out of 10 for effectiveness is, so for a freshwater turtle, their shell is pretty dome-shaped. Like if you have mm. seen like, painted turtles or like spiny soft shell turtles their shell is like very smooth sort of very flat it helps them swim really fast but the blanding turtle have like a really dome shaped shell and i mm. think because of that they're like not very good at swimming that they, they oh. tend to be a little slow compared to the other turtles huh that's interesting because one of the ways that i can tell that i'm looking at like a box turtle or a tortoise is because of that like tall dome shape to the shell yeah because it makes sense you're like it's not streamlined for swimming exactly um but i didn't know that blanding's turtles would have that too is there like a reason for that or is it just a weird thing i think it might also be because they spend quite a lot of time on land Uh, it's not that they're like really bad at swimming like they're probably better than a tortoise at swimming but they're just not as good as a painted turtle or a soft turtle. Yeah. Another thing that maybe because of cartoons, people typically associate with turtles is being really slow. Probably because of like the old folk tale about like the tortoise and the hare. Yeah. And that became like, oh, all turtles are slow. Um, but I have seen some, particularly like the freshwater turtles we have here, they can book it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're not that slow, are they? Uh, so the painted turtles uh, I work with, they're not slow at all. Like a couple of times I almost lost them. You know, I lay them on the ground and try to get my you know, equipment out to measure them and weigh them. And yeah, they can be very fast. But the blanding turtle I work with um, never had the problem. They're not oh, very fast, things. unfortunately. Well, I mean, if they're built more for defense, if your strategy isn't going to be running away from the predator, but just hunkering down where you are, exactly. Yeah, I guess you can kind of make that yeah. trade-off. Especially with their hinged plaster on, it really works for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea. Does it kind of like fold in like like an accordion? Yeah, so the bottom part of the shell sort of makes this like V-shape. It's sort of like a dough hinge, but the um, front of the shell where the face comes out and the back of the shell where the legs and the tail comes out, that, that would be shut really tight. Do they run into this situation where I've seen some animals have these really cool defenses, but then they'll be up against a very clever predator and a predator will like figure out some interesting way to like get around it? Have you ever heard of a situation where like a predator has figured out how to like get in there anyway? With my study population, I haven't really come across that. Mm. 
the only thing I've noticed is like some blindings turtles are like maybe a little too naive and they don't really recognize the predator. So they don't go in the shell on time and then, you know, they lose their limbs and things like that. That makes sense, especially if that's not something that they've encountered before. Exactly. I feel like I've heard that Blanding's turtles have a very interesting lifespan. Oh, yeah. That they are like particularly long lived. Yes. So they can live up to like 70, 80 years, like very easy. That's so much. Yeah. <laughs> They're like humans. <laughs> so they also um, reach sexual maturity around um, like 14 to 20 years of age. So it takes them a very long what? time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Not in a hurry to grow up. No, not at all. And sadly, that's one of the reasons um, they are endangered throughout their range. Um, mm. They don't lay a lot of eggs, um, usually around 3 to 22 eggs per clutch. And they also don't like nest every year sometimes. And there's also a lot of threads across their range. So because they are very slow to sexually mature, they have a very long lifespan. And they lay a lot of eggs, but there's no like parental care involved with it. Like you don't see a mama turtle hanging out to help the eggs hatch or anything like that. So it takes a long time for their populations to recover sometimes. And that's also why we are considering head starting so that uh, we could increase the number of hatchlings and juveniles that go into the population. There's also like a lot of threats for all the turtles uh, in the world. Um, most of them include like poaching and um, habitat destruction or like fragmentation is like a major ongoing problem, especially in like urban areas. There's also like what we call subsidized predators. Uh, they're there because we humans help those predators thrive. Like, for example, we leave our garbage out and urban areas have a lot of food. So predators like raccoons become very abundant and they prey on turtle eggs. And that's also causing problems for these populations. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense because they got those grabby little hands. They could just pick up an egg and run off with it. Yes. Uh, raccoons are very good at finding nests and, you know, eating all those eggs. And they're also very cute, so it's hard to, like, control their populations. People don't like any ideas about, like, controlling raccoon populations either. So it's a complex challenge. Yeah, it can be rough when you're up against, like, a charismatic predator, I guess. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> a threat that people empathize with, yeah. I guess, because they're cute and fluffy. Exactly. <laughs> but they're not so cute and fluffy to a turtle. Not at all. <laughs> That's really interesting, though. You know, we talked about some other animals where they have this like really long lifespan and really long period of time in between generations. And another thing we've talked about is how that makes it really difficult for that species to adapt. So like if you're talking like 15 years from one generation to the next, it's going to take them a really long time to adapt to their surroundings. Mm -hmm. Because the generations aren't fast enough as humans have caused their environment to change so quickly around them and they're not at the same pace. Yeah, they can't keep up. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Poor babies. Yeah. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for Blanding's Turtle, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice. But we do see you doing it. 
honk if you like to do it. <laughs> Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, yeah. honk if you did it? That's what it I was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. <laughs> Why did we not ever make this? Those we are did the make them. I did think we? they're still in the Max Fun store. <laughs> honk, honk. You're doing it. <laughs> Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Hong Kong. Toot toot. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. So the next kind of thing I want to talk about with the Blanding's turtle, the next category we rate our animals on is ingenuity. This is behavior, things that the animal actually does with their body to like solve problems they face or compete with either each other or other species. What would you give Blanding's turtle out of 10 for ingenuity? I would say 10 out of 10. Yeah, this is a clever guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the reason for my score is that so because blanding sterols are reptiles and they're ectotherms, they can't regulate the internal body temperature, right? So one of the things they do is, especially in the summer, they, you know, go on a log and they bask, try to get as much sun rays as possible, you know, heat up their body. So I think that's a very clever way to go about it. And the other thing is like, if it gets too hot, <laughs> they do something called estivate. And that basically entails if it's too hot, they either like bury themselves in the mud to cool down or the, like they stay underwater the whole time. And the other thing that they do, um, especially like in Canada, the summers can get very hot and also the winter can get very cold. So they're, they're dealing with these extremes. So in the winter, what they do is they find this overwintering site and so they once they find a good spot, they either like bury in the mud completely or partially, or sometimes they could even just sit on the bottom. So blanding turtles, though, they don't become completely dormant throughout the winter. Some of them do move around a little bit. Sometimes they would even switch their overwintering site. They would be like, hmm, I don't like this place anymore. So they would try to find a different place. The vibes are <laughs> off. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes they would also like overwinter with their buddies. Like it's called communal hibernation. We don't exactly know why they do it. We, we do have some hypotheses floating around, especially with the adults. We think, you know, it's to increase their chances of finding a mate. When spring comes, they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. But something I noticed is that the juveniles also sometimes communally overwinter. So we've been wondering, well, they're not trying to find mates. You know, they're not sexually mature yet. So there's been some other hypotheses. For example, maybe the overwintering habitats are limited. Limited. So they are forced to like go into these same places. Mm. So that's why they are communally overwintering. Some of the other things that I'm considering is that turtles from the same clutch. So basically they're siblings. Maybe they like oh. to overwinter together. Things like that. Huh. How would they know? Like, would it just be like a memory thing? Like, can they tell each other like apart? Are they very social creatures? So we don't know if they're able to recognize siblings yet. So that's 
part of my study because we know their clutch history, right? Because we know which nest they came from. So if they choose to overwinter with the um, same, you know, individuals, they came from the same clutch. Uh, we are thinking that maybe the genetics have something to do with it. We just don't know the mechanism yet. Like, how do they recognize their kin, basically? Oh, that's so interesting. A question yet to be answered. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's not very easy to answer just because doing fieldwork in the winter is not as easy as in the summer. Especially because we can't also see the turtles under the ice. Most of the time we use this uh, technique called radio telemetry where we attach a radio transmitter on a turtle and uh, we use that to track them and see where they go. You mentioned earlier that these turtles are found like in the Great Lakes region. And my understanding is that many parts of the Great Lakes do freeze over completely. You said they're like under the ice, like swimming around all winter? I wouldn't say like swimming around like in the summer, but they move very, very slowly. And they are also anoxia tolerant, which means they don't need a lot of oxygen. So in the winter, they slow down their metabolism a lot. So they don't need as much oxygen. They're not eating in the winter. It's like they go to this sort of sleep mode. They're not doing much. They're taking it easy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, they are not as anoxia tolerant as I would say painted turtles or snapping turtles. Uh, but the overwintering sites they select are very similar to that of uh, those other two turtles. That's interesting because I feel like when you get farther north, there are fewer reptiles around. <laughs> like down here Sadly. where I live, you know, it is a happening spot. We have so many. I'm looking at a reptile right now. There's a lizard on my porch outside oh, my window. I'm so jealous. <laughs> but farther north, the reptiles have to be built different to withstand such crazy temperatures. Yeah, because it's not like birds where they can, you know, migrate to Florida in the winter and, you know, come back. Oh my gosh, can you imagine a turtle <laughs> trying to like migrate all the way from like Maine down to Florida? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, don't worry guys, I'm on my way. I'm coming. <laughs> and by the time it makes there, it's time to turn around and head back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Poor babies. <laughs> so it's probably a good idea that they can just stay put. Oh yeah. <laughs> make it work where they're at rather than having to uh, haul their... In I mean, they got their whole house right there on their back. So better than having to lug, lug a giant shell across the country. <laughs> so outside of this like communal overwintering, do they get along with each other? Do they like not like each other? They're territorial or are they pretty okay with like sharing space with other Blanding's turtles? Yeah, I think... Blanding's turtles are not very territorial. I don't think any turtle species is. Uh, they do have a lot of habitat overlap um, and they would bask with like other Blanding's turtles or like other turtle species, like the painted turtles, for example. So they're a friendly bunch. You know, they get along with everyone. Kind of a very classic like scene is a bunch of turtles stacked on a log. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seeing just like a log will be just covered in turtles and they're overlapping each other, mm -hmm. right? So they'll be like stacked up on top of each other. But a Blanding's turtle, you mentioned it has a dome shaped shell. So I guess if they tried to stack on top of each other, they just roll off. <laughs> Probably wouldn't work. Uh, the other problem <laughs> is they also don't have such huge numbers to make it happen. Mm. Most of the time, yeah, their populations are very low. I know you mentioned the population you work with is functionally extinct. Mm -hmm. 
are most of the Blanding's turtles like populations at that kind of level? Uh, yes. So sadly, most of the populations throughout their ranges, they are considered endangered. And one of the criteria for that listing is the actual population size. Depending on the geography or the study area, like for example, mine only had like six adults to begin with. Mm. That's not a lot. No, not at all. And most populations also need like human intervention, you know, nest protection strategies, road mortality is like another huge threat. So sometimes we have to install like culverts or like fences to make sure they don't cross the road in those like busy streets. That makes sense. A lot of work needs to be done. We got to protect these sweet babies. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of them being sweet babies, and maybe we can kind of really sweeten the pot a little bit in terms of talking up like how important it is to protect Blanding's turtles at all costs. Let's talk about how cute they are. <laughs> the final category that we rate animals on is aesthetics, which is literally just how nice they are to look at, like how pleasantly looking is this animal. What do you give Blanding's turtle out of 10 for aesthetics? Oh, it's an easy 10 out of 10. So easy. <laughs> yes, it's one of the most beautiful turtles, I would say. Like, you don't see a bright yellow chin, you know, on any other species. Uh, not at least in North America. So I think it's a very easy 10 out of 10. Super easy. And I also think that... In addition to the bright yellow chin, which is spectacular, by the way, I love a good, like, poppin' high contrast. They have that, like, dark, almost black on the top and then bright yellow on the bottom. Perfect. Love the contrast. They're also, like, smiling. Yes. <laughs> All the time. They have this precious little blissful smile, which I know is an anthropomorphic. <laughs> That's just me projecting human feelings onto their very neutral face. Yeah. But to me, it looks like they're smiling. I agree. Since you get to work a lot with baby Blanding's turtles, is there like a cute little word for like a baby turtle? You know how there will be like a duckling or a piglet? Is there like a cute little word for a baby turtle? Hmm. And if not, can we come up with one? <laughs> like a turtlet? A turtlet? Oh, that, that's a nice one. We just call them hatchlings, to be honest. That is still really cute. How cute are the baby Blanding's turtles? Do you feel like they're like cuter as babies or get cuter as they grow up? Um, I think for any turtle species, I think they're the cutest as hatchlings. Especially like when they come out of their egg, they have this tiny tooth called um, an egg tooth that they use to basically break the shell from the inside. And I've seen like snapping turtles with it. They're very cute. Turtles are very cute as hatchlings. Is it like a sharp horn on their nose? Like what does that egg tooth look like? So it's like a tiny V shape on their mouth. Well, it is white in color, so there's that. Oh. Turtle egg tooth. I'm just pulling it up on Google right now so I can see a picture of it. It is kind of cute. <laughs> it looks like they have just a little sharp little point right on the front. Yes. And it's so little and cute. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Walk me through what raising a Blanding's turtle hatchling is like. Do you have to like pick it up and and handle it a lot or like how do you feed it like what is it like to like raise a baby blanding's turtle i'm going to backtrack a little um, because there's also like this very interesting fact about blanding's turtles so they have something called a uh, temperature dependent sex determination so which means the incubation temperature basically determines whether it's a female or a male 
So for example, in higher temperatures like 30 degrees, uh, we have a female hatchling and in like slightly lower temperature, like 27, 28 or above, we have a male turtle. Uh, I'm actually talking in um, Celsius. I don't know if you have to convert it into Fahrenheit. <laughs> hey there, don't worry, USA listeners. I have got your unit conversions covered. 30 degrees Celsius equals 86 degrees Fahrenheit. So at that temperature, you get female turtles and in the lower 80s, you get male turtles. Back to it. It's really interesting because we can basically decide which kind of turtle we want. Like, for example, if you want a lot more female turtles, we could just incubate them at, you know, 30 degrees Celsius. But it's it's not too hard to take care of turtles because I know there are Head Start programs that let high school students um, do the captive rearing part of it. So it basically entails like once they are hatched, you put them in like a tub, uh, make sure there's hiding spots for them, like a lot of vegetation. And they also need to have like a basking site uh, because it's very important for their bone growth as well. They need those like UVA and UVB lights. Uh, so make sure they have like a nice basking platform and like, you know, a good temperature. And they also feed on like different things. Like, for example, in our program, we feed them like earthworms um, and they have this sort of like a gel. We call it turtle gel. And sometimes they also feed like beef heart gels as well. So Ooh. they like a lot of meaty food. They're just like human kids, I suppose. Um, they <laughs> like meat as kids, but then, you know, as they grow into like, sub-adults and adults they start eating plant food more as well oh sure your palate gets more refined <laughs> as you grow right <laughs> you can't just toss a couple chicken nuggets at them anymore yes so the problem with that is like we don't know if they're like actually choosing to eat plant matter or like when they're out in the wild they just you know eat like a crayfish and plants just get in the stomach as a result oh like it's an accident yeah <laughs> we haven't really we don't really know whether they actually pick and eat the plants yeah but other than that in the wild they eat like benthic invertebrates frogs and tadpoles sometimes even like berries and grasses but in captivity we just feed them like worms and those uh, beef heart gels and things like that oh and sometimes also crickets oh yeah oh that's the good stuff a lot of protein <laughs> they gotta grow they gotta grow a big old shell and be big and strong so that they could make more blandings turtles <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up for today, I would love it if you could let our friends listening know, like, if there's anything that you're involved with right now that you want people to know about, like any ongoing projects or organizational stuff that you want people to know about, where people can find you if they want to follow you on social media, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so these days I am working on um, the data analysis aspect of my research. So I have collected the field data for the most part, and it's, you know, time to see what those results tell us, uh, what's the story, is Head starting working, things like that. Uh, so I'm hoping to publish some articles soon. But my winter field work is still ongoing. Uh, we had like 40 centimeters of snow like this past week. Oof. Yeah, um, I think it's around 16 inches in um, the U.S. system. <laughs> um, so we have to drill a lot of ice and, you know, shovel a lot of snow to see what the blanket turtles are doing. Uh, and all of our work actually requires extensive permits. So like permits from the federal government, the local government, provincial government, things like that. So everything's like taken care of. 
Yeah, so that's what I'm up to these days. And I'm also on social media. I do have a Twitter account. My handle is turtle underscore ecology. Uh, you could find what I'm up to on Twitter. And I also post a lot of Blanding's turtle pictures and also other herbs. Yep, that's all I have for today. <laughs> I will say your pictures, first of all, are so charming. Like the pictures of the little Blanding's turtle, because like I said, you know, like I literally never heard of them before. And just, I feel like I began the falling in love with them journey from seeing the adorable pictures that you post. Oh, that's amazing to hear. <laughs> I mean, it's a turtle that I don't have where I live, right? And so like through following you and getting to know them a little bit better, I gained this deeper appreciation for a critter that I'd never heard of, but... They need a lot of help. So anybody who's listening who lives in your area, you know, um, if you're interested in following along with the research, you know, go follow Therusha on Twitter. Are there any sort of like ways that you can think of that people can get involved with helping Blanding's Turtle? Um, yes, the Toronto Zoo, they have a specific page dedicated to Blanding's Turtle Head Starting. So if you are from Canada and if you're visiting the Toronto Zoo, uh, feel free to donate for the Blanding's Turtle Project. It will really help us with our ongoing monitoring efforts uh, to recover the species. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go, you know, do what you can to help this little guy out because they need it and they deserve it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge today, Therusha. It has been a delight. I have had so much fun learning about turtles from you and getting to know you a little bit better. So this has been so delightful. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Like, this is a great opportunity for me to talk about turtles. You know, I'm so excited about it. I am thrilled at any opportunity to geek out about turtles. I hope you have more <laughs> turtles in your podcast. Oh, absolutely. Great. <laughs> we got a lot ahead of us. Nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We will talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening, friends. I really hope that you have enjoyed this time learning and fawning over this beautiful turtle with us. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could hop over to your podcatcher and give us a good review, like listener Soderick, who left kind words for us on Apple Podcasts, particularly the word delightful, which we definitely appreciate and strive to live up to. You can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Come hang out with us. You can can send us an email at ellen at just the zoo of us .com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. In fact, this episode happened because it was requested by our friend Britt Vickstrom, so we would love to hear from you, and it just might end up on the show. We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. And while you're there, it would be great if you signed up for a membership to support us and the rest of the shows on our network. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. Louis Zong actually just released a new song with Brian David Gilbert called Breezy Slide, and it is really, really good, so go check it out. That is all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.